Hi, this is Sam Chan, and welcome to the Sam Chan Leadership Podcast. It is my honor to serve you, help you achieve your dreams. Let's do this together. A little bit of what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, let me just probably put it out what I do want to talk about. I want to talk about our thoughts, our thoughts, how we think, our thoughts. I'm an immigrant. I came to the United States of America in 1973 from India. Uh, things were different there. It was a different America. Uh, it was not a better America. It was just a different America. And I want you to know that America has been very, very good to me. And I have zero qualms with uh, where, where I am. But when I came to America, one of the things I had to wrestle with was how I was uh, thinking. My, my thought patterns uh, needed to be upgraded because I was going through a tough time in my life. Uh, unemployment was high, high 1974. People didn't have jobs. Uh, un, uh, everything was difficult. So for a foreigner to work in America, you have to go to what used to be known as immigration and naturalization services, now known as Homeland Security. And uh, I would, uh, I went there to apply for a work permit and I was denied a work permit and rightfully so because Americans were our jobs and they were not gonna give uh, a foreigner, uh, an immigrant, a job from somebody else. So in those days I ended up, uh, I needed to eat. You know, I had no source of income. I could not work legally. So uh, I would get uh, my food from dumpsters, uh, behind grocery stores. Uh, I, I worked as a breakfast cook, dishwasher, janitor, and, and, and all those kind of things that were going on in my life. But from in India, I came from a middle, upper middle class family. The first time I went hungry in my life was not in India. The first time I went hungry in my life was right here in the United States of America. Uh, didn't have any money to buy clothes. Didn't have any money to just buy toothpaste. Uh, friends of mine helped me greatly in different ways. And maybe I'll talk about that some other time. But what I had to wrestle with was my brain, my mind, how, how I was thinking. And I start thinking about what is keeping, what will keep me from my destiny, what will keep me from my destiny. And so I want to give you seven words to write down. If you're driving, don't do that. If you are stationary, this might be a good time to do that. Seven steps to your destiny. Seven, and then I'm going to talk about step number one. The rest of my time with you. Seven steps to your destiny, and here are the seven steps. You ready? Here we go. And I'll repeat it a couple, three times so you get it. Number one is your thoughts, T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S, your thoughts, how you think. Number two is your words, your words. Number three are your decisions. Number four are your actions. Number five are your habits. Number six is your character. And number seven is your destiny, your destiny. Let me give those to you again. I'll give it to you two more times. Thoughts, words, decisions, actions, habits, character, destiny. Let me give them to you one more time just to make sure. Thoughts, words, decisions, actions, habits, character, and destiny. Let's talk about those. Everything begins with a thought. Uh, the Zoom thing began with a thought. Uh, the lighting on your face began with a thought. Uh, Foy, uh, I see you got some flowers and stuff behind you. It's beautiful out there. It began with a thought. If you're wearing glasses right now, it began with a thought. Ibrahim uh, has got a headphones on his head, began with a thought. Your chair you're sitting in began with a thought. The house you're in began with a thought. 
Trisha is transitioning from the food and hospitality industry to uh, to the health and fitness industry. So that began with a thought. You you decided to uh, to uh, enroll in this program with John Bevere and myself, hosted by Virgil Sierra and Avail. That began with a thought. Even the the program itself began with a thought. Everything begins with a thought. Uh, the Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Uh, your thoughts will take you where you want to go, and the thoughts will keep you from where you want to go. Your thoughts will take you to good places. Your thoughts will take you to bad places. Uh, have you ever looked at somebody and said, what were they thinking? They are Because they are not thinking. Uh, your, your thoughts will govern your life. There's nothing more important than, in fact, the Bible says this, be transformed by the what? Renewing of what? Your mind. Now, there's a difference between mind and a brain. Your brain is your muscles, the gray matter up there. It's what I call the hardware. It's what I call the hardware. Your, your, but your mind is the software that interprets the hardware so so uh, i can i can go through a, a a a buffet line i know we haven't been through a buffet line in a long time but i can go through a buffet line and i can see baked chicken barbecue chicken fried chicken uh chicken cacciatore uh, you know chicken and my 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 brain tells me it is chicken and then it tells me that different kinds of chicken, but my mind interprets the taste that I will get if I got barbecue chicken versus fried chicken. My, my mind, so my brain tells me it's chicken, but my mind tells me what it'll taste like if I will like it. And there, so, so you make that decision, you say, I'll take some barbecue chicken, because your mind told you that. So it is how you think. Everything about life is how you think. Everything began with a thought. And then those thoughts become words. Uh, these are not words that you speak out of your mind, out of your mouth. <clears throat> these are words that you speak in your head. Some of the most important conversations you're gonna have are never gonna come out of your mouth. Some of the most important conversations will be while you're laying in bed, while you're driving, while you're in your shower. And you'll say, I'll say this, then they'll say that, then I'll say this, they might say that. And, and you have these conversations in your head, your, your words, your words, your words. And the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So your, the words that you're speaking to yourself, uh, Trisha, if I could use you for example. So many of you were not uh, uh, logged on earlier, Trisha, and I was just having a conversation. And during these uh, pandemic days, these COVID days, uh, before that she was in the hospitality restaurant industry. And uh, she uh, got transitioned out of that position. And then she said to herself, she thought, then she said to herself, words, I'm going to go into the physical exercise fitness, let's call it that, health and fitness industry. So she started getting certified with this and certified with that. And now she's got all her certification on her belt. She's going to go into business for herself. And she said to herself, I want this to be a faith-based business. I'm using Trisha, for example, to say she thought and then she said stuff to herself. All of us do that. Uh, you, you got the advertisement for this master class, so you thought that would be good. You said, I like John Bevere, Sam Chen, ah, okay, but John, I'll, I'll log in for John. So I get that, uh, you know, I'm used to rejection, so I, I, I'm okay. Uh, my insurance covers therapy for me, so, so I'm good with that. Uh, <laughs> so so you, you thought to yourself, and then you said, I think I'm gonna do that in your head. And so you, signed on. So we think, then we say words to ourselves, and those, then it leads to decisions. 
So you think, you self-talk, and then you make decisions. You make choices. Every day we're making decisions. Some are more consequential than others. What you wear is a decision. Your haircut is a decision. What you eat is a decision. Where you live is a decision. Who you marry is a decision. Who you leave is a decision. Everything then becomes a decision, but it starts with your thoughts, your words, your decisions. And then your decisions lead to your actions. So once you decided that you were going to be part of this master class with John Bevere, Sam Chen, led by Virgil Sierra, once you made that decision, then you took an action. You took action to uh, sign on. You took action to put your credit card on the line. You took action to uh, commit yourself to this. So you took action. And you do an action long enough, it becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. They tell us it takes 28 days to form a habit. For some people, it is uh, sooner than that. Now, habits are not bad. Habits, they're good habits and bad habits. Uh, good habits are self-hygiene is a good habit. Exercising is a good habit. Eating, uh, eating healthy is a good habit. Going to church is a good habit. Uh, sowing generously into the kingdom is a good habit. So reading is a good habit. Growing is a good habit. So things become a habit after a while. And then habits become part of our character. Habits become, let me use a, let me use a, a pejorative example to make my point over here. How many of you know somebody who is habitually late? They're late all the time. Can you just wave at me? Can you just wave at me? They are way, they, they are way with me. It, if it is you, just go like this. Uh, but if you know somebody, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know they're going to be late. If you tell them to meet you at 9 o'clock, you know it'll be 9.50, 9.20. So, so you know that. They're habitually late. And then they always have an excuse, don't they? Oh, man, the traffic was bad. Oh, you know, this happened, that happened but they're habitually late. That becomes part of their character. Can I explain to you why habitually late people have a character issue? Because people who are habitually late don't respect the other person. They don't respect their space. They don't respect their time. They don't respect their attention. Now, everyone, everyone can be late once in a while. I get that. I, you know, that's all right. But people who are habitually late have come to a place where they don't mind keeping others waiting. So, so if you're going on a trip from the bus and the church, but, uh, from the church and the bus is going to leave at 9 o'clock from the church, we tell them 8.30. But don't do that anymore. Tell them 9 o'clock. If they're not there, leave them. Because you know what we do? You know what we do? We keep feeding the monster, keep feeding the monster, keep feeding the monster. And we adjust our lifestyle to accommodate their lack of respect. It becomes a character issue. And finally, your character will walk you into your destiny. Your character will walk you into your destiny. Uh, so those are the seven words that will lead you into your destiny. Let me give those to you again. Your words, your thoughts, sorry, your thoughts, your words, your decisions, your actions, your habits, your character, your destiny. Let me back up and say one thing. How many of you have had some people come to you asking for help, asking for counsel, asking for coaching, and you give them the best help you have. They give them the best counsel you have. You give them the best advice you have. And two weeks later, they come back and ask the same question, right? And you say, I just told you two weeks ago what to do. And they keep coming back. They keep coming back. They keep coming back. And you keep telling them the same thing again and again. Because their question is, what should I do? What should I do? Looking at those Seven words, that is step number four. That is the action step. What should I do is question number four, action. 
So if they ask you, what should I do? And you tell them, this is what you need to do. You're asking, if you can imagine step ladder, if you can imagine a step ladder, you're asking them to step from zero to the fourth step. And they cannot do that. Because the, they're asking, what should I do? And we should be thinking, we should be saying to ourselves, what are they thinking? Because the thoughts lead to words, lead to decisions, lead to action. But I want to circle back around to the first word, thoughts. And I'm going to give you seven questions that Sam Chand has struggled with. Seven questions. And the seventh question is the one that really str I struggle with every day. But let me give you the seven questions. Question number one, who am I? Who am I? The question of security. Who am I? It answers the question of security. It's not what I do. It is not what I live, where I live. It is not what I drive. It's not what I wear. It is who am I? At my core, who am I? Who am I? Unless you answer that question, you will live an insecure life. I have found that leaders, if they're not careful, the higher they go, the more insecure they become. I have seen large church pastors, large corporation CEOs become more and more and more insecure as they rise. Because as you rise in business, as you rise in church, as you rise in ministry, as you rise in entrepreneurship, you are going to have more people at a higher level around you. And it is so easy to get insecure around people. I can tell you that's a challenge in my life. Who am I? Uh, I get to, in my life, be around some amazing leaders. I get to be around... Uh, Wonderful, wonderful leaders in ministry and marketplace, sacred and secular. What's that salad we get, Adrian? I like it. chicken salad. You like the Southwest? Southwest salad. And one of the things that uh, I have discovered is how insecure I can be if I'm not careful. So... When I'm around people, for example, who can quote a lot of scriptures, uh, you know, John Bevere, for example, he, he knows the Bible. He knows the Bible better than I do. I know that. I know that. He is a, he's a scholar. I'm not a biblical scholar. I know that. So the, the propensity within me is to allow my insecurities to say, I'm going to throw in a little bit more Bible not for the right reasons, but because my insecurities rise there. And insecurities will destroy your leadership probably more than anything else because you never become you. Who are you? Why are you trying to be a copy when God placed you as an original? Why are you trying to be an echo when you should be the voice? Just be who you are, who you are. Because God does not come and make you over. He just takes over your life to better the kingdom. So, who am I? Question number one. Question number two. What is my address? What is my address? And that is answer the question of location. The question of location. Where am I serving? Where am I serving? What's my address? You know, one of the things that is challenging in leadership is we are here, but we're always wanting to be there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But sooner or later, you got to say, God, you brought me here. This is my address. At least for right now, this is what I'm going to find myself doing. Because if you are here, but looking over there, you'll never be able to be fruitful where you are. A tree cannot be replanted all the time and still be truth, uh, fruitful. 
for a tree to be fruitful, it has to be planted, it has to have longevity, it has to have sustenance, you've got to give it time, you cannot be running from place to place to place to place. So, I, you know, from time to time, I talk to pastors who say things like, you know, I'm in a little town right now, but if I was in a bigger town, I could do this, this, this. And I don't blame them for saying that, but that simply says to me that they are not 100% engaged where they are at. And when you're not 100% engaged, you will never rise to the level that God wants you to be. So what is my address? Has God placed me here? Is this my place of service? Uh, when I was pastoring up in Michigan back in 1980, 81, and so on and so forth, uh, I remember I had a pastor friend. He's gone, gone on to be with Jesus now. His name was Pastor Edgar Kent. Pastor Edgar Kent. Pastor Edgar Kent was pastoring a church in the middle of town, Hartford, uh, Michigan. Uh, and the name of the church was Gospel Lighthouse. Gospel Lighthouse. And I remember we were having uh, breakfast one morning at the Waffle House. And uh, he was saying to me, he said, he says to me, Brother Sam, my church just does not seem to grow. I get up to 35, 40 people, sometimes even 50. And then it goes back to 25, 35. He said, I, can, you know, I get to 50 and then it goes back. People come in, people leave. People come in, people leave. So I asked him, I said, uh, so when people leave, where do they go? Are they mad at you? He said, no, 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 they're not mad at me. They're still my friends. So where do they go? They go to other churches. And then in passing, he says, and you know, some of them have started their own churches. Not a church split. They started their own churches. I remember that day I pulled out a napkin in the restaurant and a pen and I said, Brother Kent, Brother Edgar Kent, can you make a list for me of all the people who have left your church and started their own churches? He started making a list. Do you know that little church that never grew beyond 35, 40 was able to start 18 other churches? Think about that for a minute. How many churches do we know that have started? I'm talking about, not talking about church splits. I'm talking about people actually friendly leave because there's a call in their life and plant a church from scratch. 18 churches out of that little gospel lighthouse in Hartford, Michigan. That was because Pastor Edgar Kent realized his address, his location, and did not allow the numbers to dictate effectiveness. Please, let me, I won't say that again for you. Numbers are not an indicator of effectiveness. Numbers are not an indicator of impact. Question number three, what time is it? What time is it? And that answers the question of maturity. What time is it? The question of maturity. I think the, the question in all of our life is, what should be happening at this stage in our life? Where should we be right now? I've been saved all these years. Where should I be? Uh, can I throw myself under the bus? So I was born and raised in a pastor's home in India. I got saved at the early age of seven. I've been in church all my life. I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. Uh, I have pastored church. I've been a Christian university president. I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. Uh, tomorrow is my 42nd wedding anniversary. So I've been married for 42 years to the, to the same woman. Uh, and thank you. And, and so I have, I, you know, I read the Bible, I pray, I do webinars. People actually pay to read my books. 
So why is it when somebody cuts me off on the highway? I want to wave at them with half a peace sign. <laughs> and that's my question. What time is it? What should be happening in my life? In a few months, I'll be 69. Should I not be beyond that? Should I not be above that? Should I not be more mature? Why do I go off on stuff? Why do I have this argument? Why do I have this bad thought? Why is that stuff still floating in my head? That's a question up here. What should be, what time is it? What should be happening in my life right now? I know this about my life. I don't know about yours. I know this about my life. I should be further down the road than I am right now. I know that about my life. I'm late. I know that. But unless I think about that and not think like I've, I'm all that and I've arrived and, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and people do this and, you know, they read my books and my blogs and my videos and da-da-da-da, you know. So number three was, what time is it? Question of maturity. Number four, who else can do this? Who else can do this? Who else can do this? And then the question of team, T-E-A-M, question of a team. Who else can do this? Who else can do this? Uh, I, I wrote a book many years ago called Who's Holding Your Ladder? Uh, it was my bestseller till leadership pain came out. Uh, who's holding a ladder? And what we need is a team around us. So this is what I have learned. And I think I've become pretty good at this one. Whenever I have an idea, whenever I have a vision, my first thought is not how am I going to do this? My first thought is not where am I going to get the money for this? The first thought is not administration. My first thought is, who else can do this? Who else do I need? Because you recognize over your life, you are doing what you're doing because somebody else came alongside you. Somebody else providentially came alongside you. God brought somebody into your life to move it further down the road. So who else do I need? Uh, who else can do this? The question of team. I'm all about building a team. Uh, so for example, what we're doing right now with you, uh, I'm just sitting in my home. Uh, I've created a little corner here <laughs> to sit in front of the camera and do what I do, but I'm in the basement of my house. But without Virgil, I couldn't do this. We have a whole team that is hosting this webinar. Uh, from their locations. Uh, somebody is taking the video, sending it out. If there's a customer service issue, somebody's trying to resolve it. I, I just heard Virgil say to Ibrahim, saying, you know, what you sent to me, I'll take care of that. I can't do all that. It is, who do I need? So the question for you is, can, not can I do this? The question is, who do I need in my life? Because it is people in your life that are going to be the primary success factor in your life. I wish I'd known that earlier in my life when I was trying to do it all by myself. When I thought I had to do this, I had to organize it. Now, the first thing that goes to my mind is, who else is doing it? I'll go on the I'll scar the web saying, who else is doing it? I may not know them, but under contact, I'll send them a message saying, hey, I'm thinking about this. Can you help me with this? Some will respond, some will not respond, some will help, some will not help. That's not the real issue. I, I, my first thought thinking is, who else can do this? That's question number four. Question number five. 
How will I know I'm successful? How will I know I'm successful? The question of destination. Question of destination. Question, how will I know I'm successful? Question of destination. And if you want to write down my most encouraging verse, it is Exodus chapter 23, verses 29 through 30. This is my, for me as a leader, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, it is my most encouraging verse. When I get discouraged, this is my most encouraging verse. Verse, Exodus chapter 23, verse 29 and 30. This is God speaking to Moses. He says, I will not drive them out from before thee in one year lest the land becomes desolate and the beast of the field multiply against thee. Here comes the encouraging part, verse 30. He says, by little and little, okay, I know you cannot, don't unmute your, uh, your, your mics. Everyone on the count of three say little and little. One, two, three. Little and little. One more time. One, two, three. Little, little and little. little. Here we go. By little and little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. So, so, so if you have Bibles, I, I saw Polly reaching for her Thompson Chain Dre uh, Bible there. So God comes to Moses and says to Moses, hey, listen, you want me to clear out the land of all of your enemies overnight. In fact, you say to me, do it in one year. Clear out all the enemies, all the Philistines, all the Amalekites, all the Jebusites, all the ites. Uh, I want you to clear the land in one year for me. God says to him, you couldn't handle that. If I grew your business the way you want it to grow, <laughs> if I gave you the promotions like you want to be promoted, if I grew your church like you wanted to grow, you can handle it. However, when verse 30, he comes and says, little and little, I will drive them out from before you until thou be increased and inherit the land. Wow. I call that two words, incremental increase, incremental increase. Now, I'm all for breakthrough. <laughs> Everybody's looking for a breakthrough, right? We like preaching about breakthrough. Your breakthrough is coming. Your breakthrough is here. The breakthrough is in you. The breakthrough is on you. God is a breakthrough God. I'm all for that. I believe in all of that. He's done that for me in my life. But that is very rare. What he usually does in my life is little and little. Incremental increase. Little and little. So how will I know I'm successful? The question of destination. As long as you have your destination and you're moving there, is little and little. So let's just say, uh, uh, so let me use Ibrahim for, for, for an, uh, an example. Uh, let's just say he's coming from Boston. He's driving from Boston to Atlanta. He's bought to George, Boston to Atlanta. Let's just say he is going through uh, Norfolk, Virginia. He's still on I-95. He's still on I-95. Has he reached his destination? No. But is he closer to his destination? Yes, and I think sometimes we are waiting to reach our destination rather than journey toward that destination because he's already said how he's going to give us the land little and little. So every morning I wake up and say, Lord, thank you for that incremental increase. If you want to do a breakthrough, I'm all open for that. But I'm just looking for little and little. 
once I come to the conclusion, I'm not disappointed myself. I'm not saying I'm not there yet. I'm simply saying I'm on my way there because that's a different way of looking at it. I'm thinking, I talk about how we think. Question number six, how will I deal with conflict? How will I deal with conflict? You have conflict, I have conflict, all God's children have conflict. You know the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. I don't think that's true all the time. I've been to churches where there were hundreds of people and God wasn't there. Mm -hmm. But I do know this, you put two, three Christians together, there will be conflict. Uh, I got to tell you the story, God tell you the story. So there's this man who is uh, uh, shipwrecked. He's shipwrecked, he's marooned on an island. He's shipwrecked. He's there for three years, for three years. After three years, this boat finally comes by to pick him up, to rescue him. And the boat comes over there. He's all excited to get on the boat, to be rescued. And there's nobody else on this island. He's all there by himself. Not a lizard on the island, not a squirrel on the island, not a bird on the island. He is there by himself. Not another human being on the island, he's there by himself. So he says to the people on the boat, let's go, let's go. He says, no, no, before we go, take us for a tour of this island. We've never been here before. He said, there's nobody there. They said, well, give us a walkthrough. So he starts walking there and uh, they see a hut, a hut. They said to this man, what is this? He said, well, you know, I needed to come out of the shelter, out of the rain and I needed shelter. So I built me a hut. This is where I live. They walk down the, the, uh, the pathway and they saw another hut. They said, what is this? He said, oh, this is my church. I built me a church so I could leave my house and go to church. This, that's really good, that's really good. They walked on the path a little bit further. There was another hut. And they said to him, and what is this hut? He said, well, that's the church I used to go to. Man <laughs> on an island all by himself. Mm -hmm. There shall be conflict. There shall be conflict. There shall be conflict. So what is conflict? Let me, let me help you understand what is conflict. If this is expectation and this is reality, expectation, reality. The distance between expectation and reality is known as conflict. The greater the distance, the greater the conflict. Okay. Uh, Mr. Paul Little, uh, 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 can you unmute your mic for a second? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are, are you married? Yes, sir. How long have you been married? Uh, 12 years. Okay. S stay unmuted. Let's talk about this. So Paul is leaving the, and what's your wife's name? Natalie. Natalie, okay. So Paul is leaving his house and Natalie says, when will you be back? When will you be back? If Paul gives her a time, he's not a wise man. <laughs> he needs to say something like, hey, Natalie, I'm coming back even though I'm leaving. I'm missing you already, babe. <laughs> says something, just don't give her time. Yes. Because if Paul says, I'll, Natalie, I'll be home at seven. I'll be home at seven. And he's not home at seven. She's wondering. There's no conflict right now, but she's wondering. Mm -hmm. 7.30 comes. She types in the text, but doesn't send it because he could be pulling up any minute. Eight o'clock comes and goes. Paul has not called. He, she is upset now. Yes. Nine o'clock comes. She mad. Ten o'clock comes. He might well get him a room somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> the expectation was Paul is going to be home at what time, Paul? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock. You didn't show up till ten o'clock. Yes, sir. You're in trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And that's all of life. You can mute yourself now. That's, that's, that's all of life. Expectation, reality. 
And every, every conflict sentence starts with the same two words. Every conflict sentence starts with the same two words. I thought, police officer, I thought I was going 35. <laughs> uh, Natalie, I thought 10. I said 10 o'clock. Natalie said, no, I thought you said 7 o'clock. I thought is a ref referring back to the expectation that was created. So in my mind, I have to think about there will be conflict. There will be conflict. So it's not like there will not be conflict. There will be conflict. But my mind, in my thought life, I have to say, when there is conflict, not if there's conflict, when there is conflict, how will I deal with that? And now I want to give you question number seven, my last question. And what I'd love to do is to, I've talked, uh, I'll end up talking to you about seven things. And I have a closing paragraph at the end, Virgil. So what I'd like for you to do is, if you have any questions, if you will put them in the chat. So uh, Virgil can have those questions ready so we don't have a lull over here. And uh, I'll try to answer as many questions as I possibly can. Uh, it doesn't have to be on this subject. It could be something else in a previous time or something coming up. But if you have a question, please go ahead and thumb that in so we can, we can talk about that. Question number seven. I need to say something about this question before I give it to you. I have been asking this question of myself every night, every afternoon. I ask myself this question at least two, three times every day for the last 25, 30 years. This is a question I obsess with. And I want to pass on my obsession to you. Here's the question. I'm going to say it at least two, three times. Because this question haunts me. This is a question that makes me grow. This is a question that makes me uh, think at a different level. Here's the question. Here's the question. What is it about me that will keep me from becoming all that God intends for me to be? What is it about me that will keep me from becoming all that God intends for me to be? This is a question of growth. Question of growth. This question helps me grow more than anything else I do. The answer to this question, if I'm brutally honest with myself, on a daily basis, this question helps me grow more than everything else I do. I've been doing this for 25, 30 years. Here's the question one more time. What is about me that'll keep me from becoming all that God intends for me to be? Okay, let me say it one more time and I'll stop for emphasis. What is about me? Not about you, not about my coworker, not about my members, not about my business associates, not about my neighbors, not about my pastor, not about anybody. What is about me? That'll keep me from becoming all that God intends for me to be. What is about me? I get different answers to myself. I've been asking this question, like I said, 25, 30 years now, every day, multiple, multiple times a day. Because if, if I can give myself permission to be brutally honest with myself, and I take that answer, and plug it into my thinking. If I think on a higher level, I will perform at a higher level. Your performance will never exceed your level of your thinking. You wanna go higher? It's all about higher levels of thinking. I think that was the greatest challenge Jesus had with his disciples. 
the greatest challenge Jesus had with his disciples was their mindset. Well, they could not think at a different level. What about me? That'll keep me from becoming all that God intends for me to be. So here's my sentence before we go into question and answer. So Virgil, I'm going to throw you the ball in about 30, 40 seconds. Here we go. Your thoughts will control everything about you. Your thoughts will guide everything in your life. As go your thoughts, so go you. Some people have what are called stinking thinking. <laughs> Philippians says this to us, think on these things. And then he tells us what things to think about, things that are goodly, things that are lovely, things that are without blame. He tells us what to think about. Think on these things. As you think, your thoughts will take you where nothing else will take you. Your thoughts will take you beyond your means, your resources, your money. Your thoughts will take you uh, into places that nothing else can take you. It is how you think. So Virgil, let me let me uh, stop for just a moment here. And uh, you, we can do a few Q&A and then I have uh, a closing paragraph at the end. Yes, sir. Very good, uh, Dr. Chan. So good, so good. Talking about thinking um, and you and focused in on that, that first part of those seven steps to our destiny, but it all starts with our thinking. This is an opportunity to ask some questions. So I'm taking a look at everybody here. Uh, you can use the reactions on the bottom of the Zoom screen to raise your hand if you have a question. Um, once I see those hands go up, you know, or once I see a question coming in the chat, I will call on you. And uh, at that point, you will be able to unmute yourself. So if anybody... Uh, would like would like to ask a question. This is the time to raise your hand. I'm, I'm taking a look here. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the ball rolling, Dr. Chan. Uh, first, with one question that I have for you, and here's my question: um, Thinking is something that I think is kind of can become habitual. Um, what do I have to do? to make permanent changes? In other words, if I've been thinking the same way for a long time, how do I shift my thinking? Because sometimes I think we, we try, you know, we try to do something, but we always fall back into the patterns. Any thoughts or anything you could speak on that? Well, two things that have helped me to do that is, one is question number seven, has helped me do that. The number two is I entrust that to somebody else. That's in, in my case, it's usually my wife, Brenda, and she will help me think at a different level. So I will, I will say to her things like, I'm stuck in this thinking, or uh, uh, this thinking is not getting the res results that we're looking for. And, and what Brenda will do is, because she's the closest to me and spends the most time with me, and I'm most exposed to her, uh, I'm most vulnerable to her, when I give her permission to speak like that into my life, but we all know that real changes can start on the inside, but you need somebody on the outside to help you affirm and confirm that. But your question is a really, really good question because it, uh, we all put our lives on autopilot and we, we keep thinking the way we've always thought. And, and I, I know people who are 87 years of age who are thinking fresh, and I know some 27-year-olds who are thinking primitive. <laughs> and it is all has to do with the people that you have around you that allow you to upgrade your thinking. And I think that's the question we have to keep asking yourself. How do I upgrade my thinking? How do I go from 1.0 to 2.0 to 2.0 to 3.0? How do I think at a, at a different level? So the leaders that I work with, especially the ones that I consult with, uh, lead pastors and CEOs and executive directors at that level, my biggest work with them is not in what they do, but in how they think. Because how you think will take you where you're going. 
Very good. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Good stuff. Uh, Paul, why don't you unmute yourself and ask your question to Dr. Chan? Uh, thank you, Virgil. Uh, great stuff, Dr. Chan, as always. What would you recommend in terms of us using our preaching, for those of us who are in ministry, using preaching and leadership to shape the thinking of people? What recommendations do you have um, for, for that? It has to do that, Pastor Paul. It has to do that. If your if you're preaching is not changing people's mindsets, if your preaching is not uh, raising people's thinking, uh, if you if if your if your uh, preaching is not raising people's level of uh, processing their life, then uh, we can have church. You know, we we know how to have church. So we 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 will we will do the you know we will shout and praise and and give and run and you know lay the dollar bill on the altar uh, <laughs> because. But the reason we don't do $20 bills is because I'm going to make 20 more trips, $1 at a time. Uh, it, it's just, the, it's just the, the whole notion of if it is not transformational, then it's not God's word. It's got, people got to be thinking at a different level. Uh, and that is why when we put people in leadership, I'm always looking for people in leadership who have the ability to think at a higher level, whom I've seen progressively think at a higher level. So I think as a, when you're preparing a message, the number one question you have to ask yourself is, how do I want the listener to change as a result of this preaching? Because all preaching has to be transformational. All teaching has to be transformational. Now you can... Uh, uh, teach without preaching, but you cannot preach without teaching. So it has to be, so the number one question should be in every preacher's mind, every communicator's mind. At the end of this, what is the change that people should make? What is the change that needs to happen? Now, all the way from salvation, which is a change for sure, I mean, turning from hell to heaven, to a change in forgiveness, to a change in stepping up in your generosity, whatever the change might be, parenting, uh, whatever the change might be, there's got to be a change message in everything that we preach. Otherwise, we become we are into maintenance, not into change. Thanks. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Great question, Paul. Thank you for that. Let's go to Eric. Eric, you can unmute yourself. Dr. Chan, on um, your second point about what is my address and that you have to be planted to be to really bear fruit, uh, I get a two-part, one for a person and then if you're doing counseling. If a person is feeling or sees, you know, you, you see an opportunity in another city, somewhere else, kind of stirs you inside, what process should a person go through, whether that's Holy Spirit opportunity, destiny, or just opportunity of the world? And if you have somebody come to you and say, geez, you know, I got a job offer here. Or I'm thinking about moving to this company or this city and uprooting. What counsel would you give them for the process to make sure that we're staying in our destiny and not just going with opportunity. That's a, so let me start with the word opportunity. The longer you live, the more opportunities are going to come your way. And the, the trouble with the opportunities that come our way is that if it was a, if we had to choose between good and bad, that would be easy. But we have to choose between good and good till we qualify one to be better. Better to stay, better to leave. Now in my life, I have uh, uh, been in different phases. I have moved a number of times and each, each one of them has been a struggle for me. Uh, I have some friends who can very clearly, uh, very clearly uh, discern God's will. For me, uh, it has not been that clear. And I have to rely on two things. Uh, 
One is the big picture where God is taking me, the big picture. And the second one is counsel in my life. So I have, I have 13 mentors in my life right now, Eric, that I speak to uh, on different occasions in different areas of my life. And I, I will float this past them. And I'm not looking for answers. I'm looking for questions. Because one well-guided, powerful question can change everything. The other thing I do is I, no one should be in a hurry. Just because you have an opportunity does not mean it's a God opportunity. So if I was counseling somebody, of course, we, I'd ask them to pray and so on and so forth. But I'd, I'd want them to also be able to look at the big picture where God is taking them, the, their destiny, and see how this fits into the destiny. Now, we can all lie to ourselves. We all lie to ourselves quite well. We are self-delusional. Yeah, we all do that. Uh, however, in the middle of all of that, I've got to be able to step back and say, the, the steps of a righteous man are order of the Lord. But I do that with counsel. Uh, the other thing I want people to know is, uh, what are you running from? If you're running from something, and you start running, you'll never stop running. Once you start running, you'll keep running. So you should not be running from people, anything that you're running from that you're afraid of. And another thing that I want to uh, probe in people's life is, is this a faith decision or is it a fear decision? Because we know fear decisions are not from God. But to all that to say that I wish we had a clear pathway, a GPS that said you are here, this is where you need to go. But I think every believer struggles with that. Every non-believer struggles with that. Because you, in some cases, are going to uproot your family. You're going to uproot your relationships. A big question I think believers have to ask themselves, especially if they are going to go to another job, is how important is my church to me? It's a very, I mean, it's not like I'm gonna go and get plugged into another church. If you have a good pastor who loves you, cares for you, looks after you, is responsive to you, feeds you God's word, uh, don't take that lightly. Don't take that lightly. Uh, so I would want them to evaluate how important is your local church to you? How important is your pastor to you? How important uh, is your ministry where you're at? So I, I know I'm not an totally answering your question, but at least get you started that way. No, that's very good. Thank you. It, uh, I've had God move me four times in my life and connect me very well with churches and stuff. And as I'm getting a little longer in the tooth, I'm resisting moves. And I want to make sure I'm resisting moves for the right reasons and not for the wrong reasons. So that actually helps a lot. Absolutely, thank you. Excellent, Dr. Chan, do you have time for another question? I do. Excellent, well, I wanted to open up, uh, Mary typed a question in the chat. Mary, would you like to unmute yourself and ask Dr. Chan yourself? Sure, so what I was thinking is, um, the, you have uh, question three, what time is it? And Question five, how will I know I'm successful, which is a question of destination. So what I was wondering is, I mean, there seems to be some kind of tension with those questions. And when you talk on number six about conflict, I thought, okay, uh, can or do thinking or asking these questions sometimes create the conflict that you have to deal with? Absolutely. Mary, you're a smart lady. There's absolutely tension. We live in a tension. In fact, my last book that I wrote, uh, let me see, here it is. Uh, my, my, the last book that came, and this came out just uh, maybe two, three months ago. It's in English and Spanish called Harnessing the Power of Tension. Harnessing the Power of Tension. So Mary, what I have learned is 
that there's so much tension that goes on here. And everyone wants to resolve the tension, but Mary, I want you to harness the power of tension. Uh, because sometimes resolving tension is tension in itself. I think I'm going to teach about this a uh, couple of weeks from now. Resolving tension can be tense, tense in itself. So yes, there is tension between number three, five, and, uh, and six. Because three says what time is it? The question of maturity, question of destination, question of expectations. So while, they're, while they are in tension, they are not opposing. They're not opposing forces. They are holding things in tension forces. And, and, and you're astute in, in, in realizing that uh, maturity is an ongoing process, the work of the Holy Spirit. Destination is where we feel destination is comes from the word destiny. Destination, destiny. So this is where our ultimate objective is going to be. And then there's going to be conflict in the midst of all of that. So I just want to affirm your, I think yours was a statement rather than a question. There's a, I want to affirm the tension is there. Don't try to resolve it. Because once you start resolving that tension, then you're going to get away from the healthy tension that is going on. Uh, so, so back to Eric's question. Uh, should I stay? Should I relocate? Neither one of them is a bad question. They are both good questions, but it's the tension between the two. And I think uh, most of us try to get rid of the tension. And I'm saying to you, it's in the tension moments of your life that you're going to grow the most. So good. So good. Um, Dr. Chan Foy has a question. You want to make this the last question for yes, you? Let's make this the last. And then I have, I have a closing paragraph for two minutes. Foy, you can uh, unmute yourself. Sure. So my question is, uh, uh, we've heard you say you spend a lot. You spend a lot of time with a lot of leaders. Of course, I know most of us are here, aspiring leaders and leaders as well. But I'm curious to know what is the one mistake you see leaders make more frequently than others. Wow, that's a really big, 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 big question. What's the one mistake I see leaders make more than anything else? My answer is probably going to change tomorrow, but I'll give you today's answer. <laughs> today's answer is people are not taking care of their character. People are so interested in the public life, they don't take care of their private life. People are so interested with their calendar, where they're going, who they're going to see, who they're going to meet with, that they don't take care of their character. Uh, I see major personalities in the church, in politics, in business, get derailed because of character issues. all the way from embezzlement to adultery to lying to abusing people uh, to using power as a weapon using influence for self-gain selfishness uh, so today's answer, Foy, is the greatest mistake people make is not taking care of their character. Uh, everyone on this, everyone on this call knows of somebody who was going well in life and then messed up, and they didn't mess up in competency. They didn't mess up in resources. They didn't mess up in administration. They didn't mess up in facilities. They messed up in their character. Uh, 
uh, I'm an old man, v Virgil, uh, somebody else. So remind me, have, have I told you the story of uh, one of the older pastors giving me his one advice? Did I t tell you all about that? I'm not sure, Dr. Chanda. I okay, think let me do that. Let me do yeah. that. And let that be my closing paragraph here. Uh, so I was 28. I was 28. 28. Uh, I just started pastoring my first church. And I went to our denomination's uh, conference gathering convention. And the leader of our movement, his name was Dr. Chester Miller. Dr. Chester Miller. Uh, I saw him across the parking lot and I ran up to him, 28 years old, excited, my first church. So some of you can understand what I'm talking about. I ran up to him and I, and I stopped him and uh, I said to him, Brother Miller, in those days we call everybody brother and sister. I said, Brother Miller, Brother Miller, you know I'm pastoring, I'm gonna start pastoring a new church. He said, yes, Brother Sam, I heard about that. He was in his 70s, older man uh, in his 70s. I said to him, Brother Miller, if you could give me one advice, what would that be? One advice. He looked at me and this is what he said. He said, Brother Sam, live long, live clean. Live long, live clean and walked away. I was so disappointed. I, I, I said to myself, is this all you got? I mean, I was hoping for some change strategy, some church growth tactic, some program. Uh, he, I, I just thought he was going to drop pearls of wisdom that I could go to the church I was pastoring and bam, it would grow and amazing things would happen. He just simply says to me, Brother Sam, I can still see him, older gentleman, very, very gentle voice, Brother Sam, live long, live clean. At the age of 28, it made no sense for me. At the age of almost 69, it makes all the sense for me. So let me conclude that with you all. May every one of you Live long and live clean.